Hi, and welcome everybody. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and I am so excited. This has been an amazing month of exploring uh, all sorts of topics as related to religion and socialism, uh, and it has been uh, amazing just seeing a variety of different topics and totally different uh, perspectives, and I've just really appreciated that. All of these are saved and shared on our YouTube. So if you did not make it to the other conversations, uh, you can hop on our YouTube and you can uh, find out a little bit more uh, about some of the other past presentations. But we had Buddhism and socialism. We had, um, uh, we had about organizing. We've had a, a variety of conversations and it's been wonderful. And I am so excited for this final conversation uh, about loneliness, capitalism, and religion. Uh, with Rafael Diaz, and I'm just so, I feel blessed that uh, Rafael was able to uh, join into our uh, programming and get involved with this. So Rafael, I will turn, oh wait, I suppose I should clarify uh, that we will have a Q&A time at the end. Uh, so we are recording, the recording is just of the speakers, uh, and then uh, we will turn off the recording and we will um, post that recording later to YouTube, but we will then, um, we will then have our um, Q&A time not recorded and with uh, people giving having a chance. So that will be at the end of the presentation. And if you join us later on YouTube, we're glad that you also joined us later on YouTube as well. So now, Rafael, I will turn over to you. Woo, thank you so, so much, Ember. And I am definitely feeling real blessed myself just to have been asked to participate um, through my homie, Ben um, over at Union Seminary and Fourth U and, and Ember, who's brought me in to uh, contribute to this series. Um, so once again, my name is Rafael Diaz. My pronouns are they, he, um, and I am currently enrolled as a student uh, at Union Theological Seminary in the Buddhism and Interreligious Engagement Program. Um, I am studying and practicing to become a chaplain um currently chaplaining uh within my sangha bumisparsha uh and i practice you know I, i'm kind of like a multiple belonger in some ways with different religious traditions but over the last few years i've, I've firmly found my home in, in vajrayana buddhism um through my teacher uh lamarad owens um and support of the sangha and um the incense smoke is a bit more intense in front of the camera than I expected, but I, I appreciate the vibe regardless. Um, so yeah, just a quick, um, you know, I'm going to start us off with a practice, but just the quickest rundown of, of how I hope this uh, conversation um, will go tonight uh, is essentially, um, I'll be reflecting on uh, my experience of being a or community organizer down here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, this is my hometown. I've lived here since I was in second grade, still do. Formed an organization called Lancaster Stands Up in 2016. Um, and yeah, and, and through that story, through uh, the journey I had with um, burnout and exhaustion and just hitting wall after wall um, in the struggle to build socialism, found my path uh, veering towards uh, spirituality and religion. Um, and, you know, through the particularities of my story, I hope that y'all can, can draw out things that are analogous or, or mirror some of your experience. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, pretty much going to paint a picture of, um, starting with talking about, uh, Marx's essay, Estranged Labor, which is one of my favorites, uh, talk about alienation and loneliness under capitalism um and how much um uh spirituality and religious practice practice in particular which we'll talk more about what that means uh can really help us cut through alienation and and you know i see this as an attempt to merge these two poles of spiritual liberation and political liberation um and and bring those together and show that maybe they're not uh, on opposite ends of the spectrum at all. If they're a Venn diagram, I think they'd be more like one circle here. If you're really doing either right, IMO. Um, but yeah, let's just start out with a practice. I invite y'all just to get into a 
position that just feels appropriate to your body, whether you are sitting or lying down, on a chair on a cushion, truly does not matter. Um, just whatever feels right for you in this moment. And let's take a deep breath out. I invite you to notice and just become aware of the sensation of your body making contact with your seat. How the seat is holding you up right in this moment. And become aware of your feet touching the ground or your seat or bed touching uh, touching the ground and how the earth is effortlessly rising to support you. Just naturally being there and offering itself to you, grounding you. And I invite you all to join me in, in building what we're going to call a, a homecoming circle. Just inviting different entities or beings from our lives to sort of just like visualize them being in the space with you. Um, and first, just start with um, inviting your teachers and your guides to be in the space with you living or dead, whether you've met them or not, just beings and figures that have helped support you in times of suffering and helped point you on the way towards freedom. Just offering up this intent and space to invite their presence to join you, maybe visualizing them sitting around you if there's specific figures that come up. And next, uh, following your teachers and guides, I invite you to come home to your wisdom texts, sacred or secular, written or oral, or any medium, music, art, film, anything in this wide definition of text that has guided you towards freedom supported you in your suffering. And following your teachers and guides and your wisdom texts, invite in your communities. And this doesn't have to be limited to space and time. It can be uh, communities of religious socialists. communities that you spend time with and feel support from, groups where you feel loved and free to offer that love back, inviting your communities to join you. Next, invite you to come home to your ancestors, whether by blood or otherwise, those that you feel kinship ties to, and, and notably, the ones that you feel um, share your desire for liberation and freedom. With my ancestry, that I think involves both enslaved people and slave owners, most likely. It's complicated. So just inviting those ancestors who share your wish for freedom and have the capacity and space to support you right now. your ancestors joining this homecoming circle of your teachers and guides, your wisdom texts and your communities. Maybe imagining them sitting around you and offering the energy of love and support. And next, come home to the earth itself energy of groundedness and solidity, of firmness, yet 
flexibility. That which offers life and love to you through the air we breathe, the food we eat. Coming home to earth. And next, come home to silence. If there's noise around you, perhaps just acknowledging the silence in between and around the sound. Silence, this great facilitator, which gives birth to form and speech and ideas, action. Coming home to silence. And last but certainly not least, invite yourself to join your homecoming circle. The being engaging in this practice was made up of all of these different elements and influences that we just named. Perhaps imagine yourself sitting in the middle of this circle of all of these great beings surrounding you, your teachers and wisdom texts, communities, ancestors, the earth and silence. Just offering you an energy of care and love right now in this moment. As we begin to close this practice, imagine these beings dissolving into motes of light, and this light being directed straight into your heart center. As you breathe in, you feel it sinking into your skin and flesh and bones, to your cells and atoms, the space in between. fully absorbing this presence and energy of love, knowing that you carry it with you even outside the bounds of this practice. Perhaps offer some gratitude or thanks to these beings that came when called. And thanks to the mystery when there may have been gaps or space in between. And I invite you to bring your awareness back to the sensation of your body making contact with your seat. When you're ready, bringing back some gentle movement to your body. Maybe stretching your neck or rolling your shoulders. And when you're ready, feel free to open your eyes. So, hello and welcome once again. Thank you all for joining me and bringing your homecoming circles with you. Um, I shared that practice specifically because I think it's a real example of what I hope we're going to get at through this conversation, which is um, how spiritual practice and spiritual work, even in uh, more practical contemplative realms, um, which is really where I live in, in my Buddhist practice. Um, isn't need not be a solitary affair. And it's truly something that connects us uh, in really deep ways to all of reality that we've been disconnected from, um, not just through modern post-industrial capitalism, but uh, perhaps through modernism itself, uh, unseen worlds, ancestors, spirits, um, and how this sense of connection, the sense of groundedness to the earth to um, to the wisdom of our teachers and our texts, how connecting to that grounding, uh, I think is really vital for doing the work of liberation. 
uh, whether it's explicitly political um, or more implicitly political in, in other ways. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I, when I was asked about this and, and knew that I wanted to talk about loneliness and alienation, um, not just coming out of my own experience, it made me think of this essay by Karl Marx, um, Estrange Labor. And I first read this when I was an undergrad in 2011 or something like that. And um, it is just like so prescient and sort of predictive of, I think, the dilemma that so many of us find ourselves in. It just uh, has really stuck with me for this day. And, and essentially, you know, his argument is uh, that the capital capitalist mode of production um, is built on disconnection and alienation uh, because of the ways that property relations are built, how we work at jobs, um, you know, where we don't own the capital, you know, the, the, if we work at a coffee shop, we don't own the espresso machines, we don't own the front counter, um, and we don't earn uh, or own the profits. We just get, you know, a, a tiny segment of it and we're really trade disconnected from our labor and trading it for a wage um, and the things that we make and that we produce, um, whether it's lines of code, uh, whether it is teachings in elementary school or um, it's engines at the Harley Davidson factory a few miles away from me. Um, we don't we don't own those things either. Um, the the our boss owns them right sells them for a profit um and this has some real consequences uh this disconnect from something so like vital and fundamental to humanity uh, uh which is just uh you know our own labor our creativity the creative act itself um and our connection to material reality he he talks about how uh, disconnected uh we become from nature because of this and see it as this complete externality as this uh, commodity uh, perhaps there's nothing to do with us that isn't uh, you know uh, there's a Thich Nhat Hanh quote I read this week that blew me away which is just like trees are our like exactly <laughs> it's such a trees are our outside lungs um, you know like those are our lungs out there that we're cutting down um, this sort of intimate connection um, with the rest of the world and, and it really disconnects us from each other. And, um, you know, I think society's borne this out in a lot of ways. You know, we, we've seen the internet uh, in all of the ways that it may uh, have connected us, how connecting us right now uh, in this call, um, it's clear how disconnected it's made, made us uh, with the prevalence of just um, social media, of, of her, uh, mass harassment, um of just the feeling that we get when we scroll instagram when we scroll twitter and and get um down on ourselves or angry at others angry at ourselves for whatever reason it may be um these platforms that are, are built off of um these strong reactions often of rage or jealousy um and with the ways that we become a car-centric society that we uh you know, are all in these disconnected, like lumps of metal, uh, careening down a highway at, at terrifying speeds, completely abstracted to one another. Um, and, you know, don't have collective places to, to, um, to connect and be together. No, like civic, very few civic societies, very few uh, clubs, union halls. Uh, if you want to hang out with people, um, meet new people, you go to a bar. Um, which for many of us, me included, just doesn't work. Um, the pandemic, through quarantine, all these different things. But this short, long story short, we're in this like deeply fragmented society and in this space where I think um, the loneliness is profoundly affecting so many of us and killing us and, and sowing just seeds of distrust um, among people who have uh, some real strong like seeds of solidarity that they could be cultivating that we could all be cultivating. Um, and, you know, I remember when I started our, our community organization here in Lancaster, it was like this revelation when we first had our, our very first mass meeting. A few weeks after Trump got elected, 250 people show up 
uh, to this meeting. And this, you know, I've lived in this county all my life, read evangelical, all of these different things, hyper just isolating, being a, you know, Puerto Rican kid who, with, with the values that I started forming and developing and, and uh, you know, queer friends being anti-war, um, you know, it, it was, um, I ne this place never really felt like a home until that, um, that meeting where all of a sudden I saw like, oh shit, there's at very least 250 plus people, however many, um, right here in this room who have enough in common about the uh, ways we've suffered and, and the ways we want to be liberated that like we're gathered here together right now. Um, and then through canvassing and knocking doors, realizing, you know, just cutting through these lies of, of um, that mass media, that the internet, that, that so many things have sort of um, fed to me the, about these people, about how we should be afraid of one another and how no one here um, shares the same values that I do. So why even try? Which, of course, is a perfect recipe to let the GOP and other fascist elements just run roughshod over your communities. Just throw up your hands. Like, well, I guess they outnumber us. It's like, no, they just outorganize us. Um, so the, the thing is, you know, these disconnections emerge from structural factors, um, structural racism, from capitalism, um, these deep embedded institutions and, and uh, ways of being, ways of running society that continue to perpetuate this disconnection, this alienation, this exploitation that we see all the time. Um, so, of course, the organizer, the socialist asks, like, okay, so let's address these structures head on. You know, let's not just uh, shift the deck chairs on the Titanic. Let's build a different ship. We need a, a, a revolution, at least, to overturn these structures and institutions and uh, to build the world we want. And but my story is just like, okay, so what happens if you do try to address that head on? And in my case, um, you know, a lot of good got done, but I look back and in many ways, I, I'm surprised that I'm even still here to talk about it. Um, you know, organizing throughout the Trump era, especially as a new organizer, was um, an obscenely challenging uh, grind and, and roller coaster. Um, you know, constant overwork and burnout um, the stakes just felt so high all the time. And, you know, Trump was, was dropping new horror after new horror. And uh, my organization, within my own organizing, like so many uh, other people at the time, were just like dancing to their tune. Super reactive, getting out on the streets, mass mobilizations every, every single time some shit happens um, without paying close enough attention on uh, really cultivating and developing the space of new people that we're bringing in with political education, with leadership skills, and certainly not uh, developing specific long-term strategic campaigns uh, to really, you know, get what we wanted. Um, you know, I look back on my personal work uh, over four years, and I just feel like there's so much little I have to show for it. Um, I think a lot of uh, groundwork or scaffolding foundations were developed that a lot of talented people are, are bringing forward. But, you know, the uh, for about two of these years, I was organizing in a town an hour away from me that I'd never been in my life um, before organizing. And it sounds so much worse when I say it out loud now, doesn't it? Um, and really built up like a beautiful like core group of people there. We started developing like a cash bail campaign to end cash bail, um, all these different things. Um, but uh, that chapter of the organization no longer exists. You know, uh, we had gotten someone on city council without the support and, and continued just guidance uh, that she needed. She's no longer on city council. Um, and it just feels like a lot of like what was built just got tossed to the wind. Um, and granted, you know, the trigger point was, was the pandemic, um, which for me, actually, I think, um, at least in regard to this work was like, uh, a savior, a clarion call, uh, uh just really let, like telling me like, you're not going to push past this wall. You can't keep crashing. I was 
caught in these patterns of, of, um, you know, two or three weeks of, of like intense overwork and exhaustion, then I would maybe like get the thing done, have like the meeting that felt so high stakes and then be completely wrecked and ruined, um, for like two weeks. Um, unable to put things, you know, put myself back together because I just exhausted myself too much. And back on the treadmill in the cycle over and over again. Um, and, you know, even when I was like making some pretty deep and intimate connections with folks and, and getting things moving, um, the sort of accolades that I felt might felt fall on my shoulders from, from mentors, from other organizers, my own leaders uh, just fell on deaf ears all the time because I thought just like it's not fucking good enough. Um, you know, this is what we got, but this is what we wanted. All of these different things that um, clearly just like wasn't making it sustainable for me. And and the last straw was essentially uh, when the pandemic hit. Um, you know, we decided to switch our ending cash bail campaign to a rapid response campaign um, to free people, um, elders especially, uh, from the Chester County Jail, um, fearing uh, and knowing that there would be a severe outbreak that would jeopardize the lives of those people who were inside. Um, and spent about a, a week, two weeks, just putting all of this work on my own shoulders, not effectively delegating or, or asking for help, and really just not having the resources to get what needed to be done, done in the period of time we were looking at. And, um, you know, we sent out this, this letters of demand, stuff like that. Then one morning I just woke up and I was finished. I couldn't even send a single email. Um, couldn't do a check-in text, check-in call, couldn't reschedule things. It was just like, like nothing was happening. And this was a pattern that had happened once again, like over and over um, this really tough spot of just like, I know what I have to do. I know I can do it. It's actually quite easy. I'm just call this list of people that I'm trying to turn out for this meeting, remind them, see if they're going to come, whatever. And, but like, there's a gap between my brain and my body. I just couldn't do these things that were, that I knew were easy. They were impossible. And, and when the pandemic hit, that truly was, you know, I was down for the count. And, and knew I needed to do something else. And, you know, the one space where I found respite, especially in the last chaotic year and a half, was actually through cultivating spiritual practice. Um, you know, since I was in high school, when I started tripping on acid, learning more about plant medicine, um, I started falling into like, you know, learning more about Buddhism, Hinduism, particularly from like the Western white imports of, of uh, those faith traditions. Um, and it was something I was interested in, but very rarely actually sat my ass down to, to do, um, it's very in my head, um, you know, okay, am I sitting up straight? Am I fucking, am I doing this? Oh, I'm not paying attention to my breath. So horrible. All these different things. Um, but the intensity of, of my work just really called me back, uh, to trying this out, (laughs) um, was with a Zen group, uh, and, and talked with the, uh, with the sensei uh, there and he uh, essentially was like, yeah, you know, if you're serious about this, practice every day for three weeks and come back. I did the practice for three weeks. I did Zazen and it made my life so much better. Um, But then I went on like a vacation that interrupted things. I never came back. Um, Later, a few months later that same year, uh, my cat uh, died and it was really fucking hard for me. And I decided to, um, check out this, this pilgrimage site, actually 10 minutes outside the town I was, I was working in, uh, the Mazar, which is like a Sufi mausoleum, uh, or Muslim mausoleums for a Sufi saint of, uh, Bawa Muhayyadeen. And, um, I would, you know, roll up there after an insane day of phone calls and spreadsheets and, and, and writing, uh, for press releases or whatever the heck else it was, canvas plans, canvas scripts. Now perform wudu and and go you know into the mazar, and I'd practice meditate for a few minutes, and sometimes I just burst out into tears or burst out into laughter. I still remember this one particular time where I just like burst out laughing, 
there's like tears running down my face and it's just like why what who cares who cares if no one shows up to this next meeting if it's like literally just terry my trusted leader who rocks right we'll look at each other and be like well this didn't work out the way we wanted and then then we'll reset and figure out what we need to do but um you know i just had this apocalyptic thinking i was bringing into everything which was so deeply rooted in just my past traumas and habit patterns um, of like the ways I was raised, taught to be a perfectionist in school, you know, get good grades or else the fucking sky is going to fall on you. Um, and, um, you know, really noticing just the extent to which my organizing, my fight for change and liberation was driven by like outrage and an outright rage. Um, which just wasn't sustainable. Um, my life was falling apart as I'm just like zooming along on this momentum of resentment and bitterness for what Empire did to me, those I love in my communities. Um, which is a very important feeling to make visible and touch into, but um, it proved to just be really toxic in the end. It's like extractive, it was like fossil fuels, it was taking shit out of me and then poisoning me as a result. Is is what it feels like. And, um, and once again, like I had all this like political knowledge, all these things of, of not just these like step-by-step, -step, like things I know I need to do and can do, uh, like, yeah, send out the phone calls, do this and that, but like this more broad theoretical knowledge, um, of how to, how to do the work of liberation. But that knowing was completely disembodied. Um, you know, it, it was all in my head and, and, you know, uh, even though I knew things like, okay, we have to pace ourselves. I need my people to take breaks and take care of themselves. We're going to do this sustainably. That shit never applied to me. Um, I never let it apply to me. Instead, I was just like breaking myself down over and over. And, um, you know, for me, the sacred and, and religious practice really was a road back home. It wasn't just Buddhist meditation um, or uh, zikr practice later at the Mazar, um, uh, which is like a, a Muslim chanting practice, uh, recitation, uh, remembrance of God. It was also Christian contemplative prayer at a local uh, Episcopal church um, where we would just, um, you know, uh, essentially do a, a, a chant of like a Bible verse at the beginning, then, you know, follow our breath or just internally repeat uh, Maranatha Aramaic for, for come, O Lord, inviting spirit uh, to join the space that we opened up with us. And these, these practices were just like so rejuvenating, um, especially at a time where every, just about everything I was doing was, was draining. And, you know, I was coming back home to, to my partner, just exhausted, not fun, not willing to have fun, just in full recovery mode, uh, but never actually recovering. And this was um, my path back out from, from what I perceive as, as alienation, um, which for me manifested as these ideas of just like, this is all on my shoulders. I have to work extra hard, you know, to, and grind myself down to the bone. I'm going to do this work. Um, alienation from my body, from like the experiences that I was, I was having um, inside myself, just this emotional and physical turmoil throughout the whole time, not listening to my body, thinking that like, oh, is there something wrong with my like lungs or with this or that's like, no, you're like, you're panicking, Raph. You're having anxiety attacks. Um, not knowing how to listen to my body and my body's needs. Um, I'm vegan, but was secretly eating the most vile, big-ass burgers possible because I was, like, on Adderall moving throughout the day, zooming, not eating. Then I'd be done, get into, like, a chaotic rut, just being super hangry. And I was like, I guess I'm just going to treat myself um, with something that will <laughs> barely taste good because I'm, you know, just scarfing it down. Um, and certainly doesn't feel good, uh, during or after, um, alienated from my ancestors and from my communities, just like feeling super alone. I wasn't hanging out with anyone. It was just the work, just the work, just the work, just organizing. If we weren't talking about organizing, I barely gave a shit. Um, and 
alienated from 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 nature I, I still think about even though i was like driving back and forth to this town i like didn't pay attention to uh you know the leaves as they they would be changing um or the river that's literally a two-minute walk up front of my house the susquehanna river uh one of the oldest rivers in the country um older than than flowers this river was around before flowers existed on this planet um and just walking up to it and looking at it is just so incredibly healing for an otherwise uh, difficult, difficult uh, existence. Um, and finally, something that I see is just like a, a, a core wound, a core wound here, along with, you know, a few of these may also be seen as core wounds. It's like I was really alienated from the sacred, from God. Um, that's something that the right wingers in Lancaster County were connected to, not me. Um, that was a thing that the Sangha, the Buddhist Sanghas that I tried to join, um, they were connected to the sacred and they didn't give a shit about political liberation. And it didn't seem like it had um, any sort of connection. So I distanced myself from it. And, and as I got more and more connected to, to the divine and developing a relationship to religious practice um, and study, I felt this like anger well up in me because of all of the things that empire and capitalism took away from me, took away from us. They they took away God from me. Um, they took, um, they gave me a white Christ of colonizers and imperialists uh, who demanded submission, uh, who didn't see me as I am as like a, a member of the kingdom of God. Um, and the fact that, you know, spiritual practice saved my life in, in no um, uncertain sense, um, you know, that made me real angry as like, I could have been <laughs> doing this all along. But thankfully, you know, I had this road back home. And, and one thing that I, I sort of realized is like, as I was organizing, you know, I thought I didn't have time for this woo-woo stuff, for practice, for, like, looking at the river, for, hell, for even, like, enjoying myself. Um, you know, I, I truly thought that, like, well, no, the things that are making my life hard um, is, you know, the culture of scarcity and material reality of scarcity under, under capitalism. How I don't have access to the resources I need and those in my community don't, um, you know, we're robbed continuously by the ruling class. Um, and that would only change if we change the structures. And that's the only answer and nothing else is worth doing because that stuff will still, you know, come up. But I realized what I was doing is I was essentially telling myself, like, oh, you can't be happy until you, you win the revolution. Um, which is so incredibly, like, distant. Like, I wasn't any closer to, like, winning those radical changes um, that I was thinking of, right? Like, and I wouldn't have been able to survive any longer uh, trying to just fight in the same way that I was without uh, finding ways to support myself, to, to care for myself. Um, you know, I think about that Lord quote about um, the radical act of self-care, just so like brutally misused uh, all the time now, right? Brought in this like consumerist, consumptive model of, of self-care that is just really decadent um, and, and, and consumerist. Um, but for me, it's really just like, you know, you need to clean your gun if you're going to shoot it. You need to reload it. You need your, your you know, uh, your troops to rest if they are going to uh, defend or attack, if they're going to do, do any of this. You know, there, there needs to be rest and restoration and rejuvenation. Um, and I, I had this idea that like, okay, well, we need to do things differently. We need to take care of one another and, and really, you know, we need to be doing all of this work collectively. The way that was manifesting through me was, um, I was trying to care for everyone else around me, doing things for them, trying to fix things for them. Um, you know, not really teaching and leading, but, uh, not just guiding people by the hand and putting them right on my shoulders, million people. Um, and then growing in bitterness and resentment as uh, no one was doing that for me. 
because nobody was overstepping their bounds and and putting their hands all in my stuff like I was doing. I realized that I had a really um uh a really vulgar elementary idea of like interdependence and what that means. Um and what I started coming back to is 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 just the importance of the individual of myself as an individual um of restoring a sense of individualism that is disconnected from uh the bootstrapping masculine uh cowboy roots um with within our culture um an individualism that just names like oh like just like you know uh you know like nobody's gonna like sleep for me nobody's going to practice for me uh just like i couldn't do other people's like phone calls for them or develop other people's leadership for them there's just some work that i had to do and i had to take care of wounds that i had to address um and i was really using the work itself to bypass dealing with these scary things inside of me my depression my anxiety my mania my alienation um you know uh, i wasn't healing these disconnections and i was avoiding them at all costs through um through the political work but as it turns out i wasn't going to be able to continue the political work um without really addressing these needs and at the end of the day you know uh, these manifested as like massive organizational problems as i mentioned before like the ways that um you know i wasn't the one overworked i wasn't the only one overworking um i wasn't the only one who was like reacting all the time to what trump was bringing down instead of really building out our program patiently um you know everything was was super high stakes and it burnt everyone the hell out um and our efforts um you know just hit obstacle after obstacle um and the way i see it just like because we're just wrestling with these deep wounds of alienation of separation these these sorts of traumas um because it's like really really hard this is the thing i'd like run into all the time how hard it is for people to ask someone they know they love and trust to join them at an action to join them in knocking doors to help send some texts with them to be like hey i really care about this thing and it affects my life my life and your life i know you care about this i love you can you do this with me that was even harder for people to do with people that they knew than it was for people that like they would just meet at the door um people being so afraid to connect and 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 move in solidarity people so afraid of engaging in healthy conflict and tension um you know that that you run into in in organizing that you run into as you try to develop plans um around really meaningful really meaningful things kept just running up against this wall of um of our unmanaged woundedness um and you know that's none of our faults but i think it's it's ultimately it's our responsibilities um it's my responsibility to um you know my teacher lamarad owens he he says this um if i don't do my work i become work for other people um and just trying to um do what's possible on like the individual level um on this deep spiritual level for for healing and working towards liberation in concert with um with the work of collective political liberation where we are bringing other people together asking them to do it and, and all these different things um let me think yeah and um yeah and i guess just before moving forward just naming some of the other things that were just coming up it's like need for validation fear of being disliked in the work which like, I was fine with extern politicians not liking me but uh with others uh with my group not so much perfectionism being totally toxic sort of you know you may have heard like this white supremacist trait everything has to be perfect um as if it came out of eugenesis laboratory um as opposed to out of the like hard one work of of regular people living in reality and so um you know and this all came 
really came to a head, as I mentioned, the pandemic, but, you know, in, in reflecting during the beginnings of the pandemic, um, there's just this realization that's like, oh, the things I've been doing before haven't been effective. Um, you know, they're not effective now. And conditions here and in my life in particular aren't even that bad yet. Aren't even as bad as we know that they're going to be. Aren't even as bad as they have been in the past. Uh, for my enslaved ancestors, for my ancestors who survived and persisted through colonization and imperialism, um, for how bad they are in other parts of the world, um, you know, outside of the, um, the, the imperial core of the West of the United States. Um, and so for me, spiritual practice um, is really all about the work of reconnection, reconnecting to myself, to the earth, to my communities, to my ancestors, and, and noticing um, the alienation, noticing um, the ways that I haven't sort of uh, cleaned up my room, you know, once I turn to, to look into myself and see how many things are bouncing around in there. And, and you know, if you've ever tried sitting and, you know, uh, with breath practice before, um, you know, Zazen and, and just, all right, just like try to follow your breath, just noticing when it goes in, when it goes out. You'll notice that you have a million things popping up and some of it may be really unpleasant. Some things that you, you know, maybe think about every day as these latent anxieties or ones that you're like, where did that come from? I haven't thought about that forever. Like, and this is really terrifying and uncomfortable. And, and religious practice is about, uh, spiritual practice is about having a container um, to confront these things and, and let them sort of burn away and, and transform instead of always being caught inside of our heads, trying to do the work of discursive thought to tease out all of these knots. Um, and instead inhabiting stillness and, and intimacy and presence with these things that hold us back, that harm us, um, that so often, uh, you know, take the wheel in our life, lives and cause us to be reactive, unstrategic, harmful, toxic. Um, and instead just be like, okay, you're there. You're there. Giving enough space for it to wither away. And if not, you know, to, to stop grabbing the wheel and instead be relegated to maybe a backseat driver that you can tune out. Maybe not being in the car at all. And um, in, in doing this, and, and I want to get to questions soon, my, my time management wasn't um, as sharp as I wanted, but this is like sort of the more like prescriptive part, which requires um, sort of depth and clarity that's really hard to get as it turns out. Um, but it's also about developing compassion and wisdom, which I think are really core to uh, organizing and developing a movement and building community um, that's willing to fight for for radical change to fight for its own dignity um compassion so we can just be in relationship with one another so we can um have some firmness and steadiness when we see uh, ugly things come out of people's mouths or or ugly things happen in the world ugly things happen in the world and just treat them with a sense of ease uh with the wisdom knowing that like the stuff comes from someplace structural factors you know um, that influence folks, mold folks into thinking a certain way. And really to stop us from being that person for, uh, who becomes bitter and resentful and is just like, look how hard our lives are. Isn't that obvious? And you're not doing anything about it. I keep trying to get you guys to the march, to the rally, and I guess my neighbors just don't give a shit. And then you, you know, end up, like I think a lot of us, you know, have been or we know these people, um, that sort of loud but powerless radical who is lecturing and wagging your finger at the very like base of people in your community that you should be building uh, deep community with being in relationship with to to fight for dignity and yeah i guess to close you know a, a thing to name here that i think is really important um, is that, you know, I, I see this as helping us developing a sort of flexibility and clarity and resilience um, 
that we're going to need in the coming years, you know, as we face climate collapse, mass uh, movements of people, uh, increased rise of fascism. Um, we're going to need to learn how to take care of each other and how to stay steady when we're going to be facing challenges far more intense than, than what Trump introduced in 2016. We're going to have to be able to keep up that energy even when someone like Biden is in office um, and isn't as explicitly evil, but is still, you know, doing so many different evil things. Um, and we are going to have to practice this, this praxis um, of, of uh, you know, theory and practice or, or practice and action um, of this dialectic of internal work and, ex and external work. Um, healing, or, you know, seeing healing is not just work of the individual on like a meditation cushion or, or prayer at a pew or walking by the river, but also in uh, connecting with others to heal the harms that we've experienced, um, building community to fight together. Um, and, you know, a caveat is like, I'm not a great example of carrying all of these things. Um, I've, I've been a maximalist. I had, had a job as a community organizer because I didn't know how to just work and do it on the side. I devoted my life to it. I've, I'm going to seminary. I'm not just a person who's, man, I'm becoming a chaplain. I'm not just a person who's working a job and, and you know, joining a sangha and meditating with them every now and then. Um, you know, I'm in this deep period of, of formation, but I get really um, antsy sometimes and feel my shame creep up. I'm not doing enough. I'm not active right now even though I know that right now this period is necessary for me to, to get to where I want to, where I can balance these different elements of the ex internal and external work. And there's new forms of loneliness too, <laughs> as I like shift around my, my um, reactivity and sort of, you know, uh, get confused when people are dealing with like very everyday normal frustrations that they take out on maybe the wrong targets, but it's just a part of, of, of life for, for most of us, you know, um, and I need to, to rein myself in sometimes, um, and honor those experiences instead of just being wigged out or never try to lecture anyone on it, God forbid. Um, so yeah, um, a little bit of my scattershot, uh, roller coaster tale that I hope cohered in, into a little something for y'all. Um, about how, um, yeah, loneliness, alienation creates these deep wounds. They come from a place within our society and they keep us from doing the, the real work to, to, to fight and build community and organize and to, to get the plan together. Um, but we can't abandon that work just to work on the individual personal spiritual level. I think we need to carry both, as challenging as it may be. So, yeah, thank you all so much. Ember can um, turn off the recording. Um, yes, uh, thank you for sharing that. Like you said, I'm going to go ahead and turn off the recording. If you watch this later on YouTube, thanks for joining us there.